The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Most of you probably have heard of the Purchased Ministry, which is a part of uh, Hub's ministry downtown, Cassie Hammett and many others. Um, I'm going to use that as an example this morning. I'm going to choose Ross and Mia Hammock. Mia is very involved in that ministry. They're members of our church. And uh, what they do, the, the, the brave, courageous ladies that are in the ministry go into the strip clubs and they try to get to know these ladies that are working there and try to, to love them in the name of Christ and to, to befriend them and to minister them. Uh, for instance, they'll bring them to, to Dr. Hammock's uh, clinic and offer free health care and do many wonderful things. And it's just an amazing display of the love of Christ that these uh, ladies are ministering uh, through that ministry called Purchased. Uh, but imagine uh, one of these ladies, uh, a success story, if you will, having been brought out, perhaps the young lady and has a daughter, and the two of them have been brought out, uh, placed into a, a home that is just a safe, secure home, help them find a job, able to, uh, to really just establish a good, healthy lifestyle and, and just establish a, a great transformation from out of that bondage to this. And then to find out that Mia, getting to know her, imagine if she found out that this young lady had been abducted as a child and uh, subjected to drugs and, and really forced drug addiction and enslaved into the sex industry, which this happens all the time, tragically. This happens all the time. So it's not a far-fetched imagination here. But imagine Mia finding out that that's this, this young lady's situation where she had been enslaved in this industry and had been broken free from that and now is a happy, healthy person living a great situation. Imagine that young lady, her feelings, her attitude towards Mia. Imagine how she would feel at the mere sight of Mia and Mia coming into her presence. What do you think that young lady would do when she sees Mia for the first time after finally being set free from uh, her enslavery to that? What do you think she would do when she sees Mia? Do you think it would be a controlled, nice, hey, I just want to thank you for what you've done for me? Do you think it would have been this... Uh, kind of formal. No, she would run up to her with reckless abandon and throw herself into an embrace of Mia. And out of her mouth would just flow the natural gratitude of her heart. Thank you for all you've done for me. Now imagine Mia says to her, hey, I need you to do something. What do you think her response is going to be? It's going to be anything. What do you need for me? What do you want from me? I will do anything for you. That's the situation that we should have in mind as we think about our text today. That's really, but we're not Mia. We're the ones enslaved and having been set free. Paul is saying, if you grasp what has happened in your life with Christ then you will respond a certain way. In our text, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
In Romans, we have been learning we are all enslaved to sin. We are all addicted to fleshly desires. We all want to worship created things. We all tend to think that they're going to make us happy. And what we find out is that nothing that God has created will satisfy for the long haul. It'll enjoy, you'll enjoy it for a while. There will be a level, a measure of contentment in something that God has created that is a gift, that is meant to be enjoyed. But as soon as we attach God status to that gift, it is perverting that gift and it satisfies and we need more and we need more and we need more until we are hopelessly addicted and enslaved to that item or to that, whether it, it, it doesn't matter what it is, fill in the blank. If we're seeking and making it to be our God, we become addicted to it. And what Paul has said, all of us were in that circumstance, seeking satisfaction in something other than God, seeking to establish ourselves as the God of our own lives. And all of us, as a result, are destined to spiritual and physical death, enslaved to our own gods that we've created. But Christ entered into our world and he set us free from that slavery. Christ set us free from that. He, by the grace of God, clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. He justifies us, declares us right with God. And he gives us new hope, new desires, a new life. And he puts himself on the throne so that now we can experience contentment. Now we are set free, finally, to enjoy the gifts of God properly. And to the extent that we grasp What God has done for us, Paul's calling it mercies of God. That not getting the punishment we deserved and giving, being lavished with grace, with gifts that we didn't deserve. To the extent that we grasp that, our lives will be offerings of worship. We will be like that young lady who runs up to Christ and throws ourselves in his arms and gives What we would naturally do when properly understanding he saved our life, gives him our lives in return. Everything we say and do will naturally flow as worship of him. It won't be contrived. It won't be formal. It will be the natural response of a heart that has participated in the mercy and the grace of God. And so Paul is calling us today. I urge you. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable unto God. This is your spiritual worship. In this appeal, he's appealing back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Now, what was the situation where that happened? He's referring to the time when Israel was delivered from what? Slavery to the Egyptians. Here we see a picture of what God has done for us in salvation. They were delivered out of slavery to the Egyptians and God then formed them as a people. As recipients of the grace of God, they become the worshiping people of God. That's what grace produces. Grace in a life produces worship. If you've experienced grace, you will worship God. When the people of God delivered out of their slavery in Egypt were 
formed into a people. God gave them the gift of His grace, His presence in the camp, inside the tabernacle. And they were allowed to enjoy the presence of God as a community of worshipers only because the great high priest, not the great high priest, the high priest, the human high priest would go in and sacrifice an animal. And that blood on the Day of Atonement was God's temporary provision for that year. It enabled, it covered their sin. The scapegoat would take the sins symbolically out of the camp and the, the sacrificial goat would atone for the sins of the people and the people then were, were free to approach God and offer offerings of worship to enjoy the worshiping of God in their midst. They would offer the guilt offering, the sin offering, the grain offering, the peace offerings, the fellowship offerings. All of this was the response of grace, the response to the grace they have enjoyed. The burnt offering was totally, completely burnt to ashes. And the priest would ceremonial, through a very careful process, take those ashes and have them removed from the camp. And you see the imagery there. The, the grain offering. Well, let's go to the, uh, the, the uh, fellowship offering. I like that one. I want to bring this one back. What they did with that, they would bring the animal sacrifice. The priest got the breast meat. The assistant to the priest got the legs. This is all in your scriptures, Leviticus 1 through 6. And everybody else got to eat the rest of the meat with them. It was a big feast that they enjoyed together. I'm all about that. We do that in members' meetings once a quarter. So what you see is that the, the covering of the sin, the sacrifice covering of sin, brought reconciliation with God, brought peace with God, and fellowship with one another. Their whole existence as a community was an existence of worship, enabled by the saving grace of God. Paul is saying, for us today, Jesus, all throughout Romans, Jesus is the great high priest. When Jesus entered into the holy place, he didn't offer the blood of an animal. He offered his own infinitely holy blood. And that completely took care of the sin of his people. It removed it from the camp. And it enables us to approach the throne of God. And so now God doesn't dwell in a temple or a tabernacle. The great high priest, when he sacrificed his blood for sin, it was finished once and for all. So now we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And now we become the dwelling place of God. You have within you God himself if you have put your faith in Christ. And it radically transforms you into a worshiper of God. Grace always produces worship in a person's life. And so he says, listen, as those who have participated in this unfathomable, this amazing mercy and grace of God, in view of that mercy, by those mercies, present yourselves as living sacrifices to God. Has Christ done that in your life? That's completely different than going to church because I call myself a Christian. We're going to church in order for God to be pleased with me this week. I mean, I hope we all see that difference that we are here today. If you call yourself Christian, it's because 
as recipients of the grace of God, he's changed your life and you're here as an expression of worship of the one who has changed you and saved you. So how do we know? What does it look like? What does the life transformed by the grace of God look like? Well, very simply, it is a giving of one's self to God. Lord, help us this morning as we study your word. Help us be conformed into your image. Make us the type of people we are reading about and studying about, Lord. Help us, Lord, by your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in these verses, we're going to see that Paul describes three characteristics of the life transformed by the grace of God. This is what God is calling us to be like by His grace. This is what God is making us into. The first characteristic we see is that we are to be a holy people. Holy people. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So he calls us to be holy people. What is holiness? To be holy means to be set apart, to be set apart by God for God. It means to be different. It means to be not conformed to this world. It means to be transformed by God, transformed into the image of God. This is what God does in those who have received the mercy and grace of God. We are set apart We become aliens in this land that we live in. We become strangers in our own homeland. He makes us different by His grace. He says, I want my people to be a holy people. He says, I didn't just give you something nice so that you can do something nice for me. I gave you all of myself so that you give me all of yourself. God doesn't just ask for you to sing a song about him. God doesn't just ask for you to put money in the offering plate. God doesn't just ask you to go do some nice deed. God doesn't just ask you to attend a church service. God says, I want you to attend a church service. I want you to put money in the offering plate. I want you to sing songs. And I want you to do all this because that's what you do when I have all of you. Because I gave you all of me. I'm going to make you a different people. I'm going to make you a counter-cultural people by His grace, He says. That's what He will do in us. So upon salvation, Jesus Christ gives us the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God takes root into our life and He changes our minds and our hearts. This is what the Word of God calls the... the, The prophets looked ahead and said that you will have a new heart. You will have the mind of Christ. The law that was written on stone will be in your heart. He will change the way you think. He will change the way you act. He will change the affections of your heart. He will change your priorities. He will change your values. He will change your desires. He will change the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time. He will change what you think is a great day. He will change everything about you. That's what the Spirit of God does when He enters a place. He doesn't just leave you unchanged. When God moves in, everything changes. 
It's called being born again by the Spirit of God so that you now desire the things of God. Has this happened in your life? Have you been set apart by God? Notice he says, the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind, you will no longer be conformed to the image of this world, but you will be transformed into the image of Christ. You will start to look like your dad. You'll start to have his characteristics about you. How? By the renewing of your mind. This is a both and. Is that the the memorizing of scripture? Yes, but it's not simply a cognitive process. It's the intake of scriptures, but it's the spirit of God driving it into the heart and changing your life. I know many people who know a whole lot of Bible and they look nothing like Jesus. It's not just a cognitive process. It's not less than that. But it's more than that. It's a spiritual transformation. I like the way Tim Keller explains that strain we're trying to work through. He says the renewal of the mind means having our imaginations captured by Christ. Have you had your imaginations captured by Christ? The Spirit of God within the believer reorients the mind so that the governing influence of the mind becomes the gospel, the word of God, the will of God. The governing influence of the mind. It's not just agreeing to a creed. It's not just formally understanding with your brain some knowledge about the Bible It is the governing influences of the mind have been captivated, your imagination captivated by Christ and the gospel, knowing I am an undeserved sinner. I come to God empty-handed, throwing myself on the mercies of Christ. That's what happens when God moves into a life. And it changes everything. And I would add, this is a continual process of daily renewal. He says, present yourselves. Lay your life on the altar. But notice, as J.D. Greer said, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. Dead sacrifices stay on the altar, no problem. But living sacrifices are constantly squirming and breaking loose and they have to be put back on the altar. That's what happens in our lives. When Christ moves in, there's a a radical break, a radical break from the chains of slavery, a radical new heart, new desires. But then that begins a life of constantly the flesh wanting to crawl off that altar and having to get back on the altar saying, no, I live for the glory of God. I don't live for my own glory. That happens daily. Daily, the renewing of the mind through feeding on the word of God, worshiping with believers, daily dying to self and living for Christ, daily 
intentionally making the decisive decision. I will not allow those thoughts to dominate in my life anymore. I will not allow my hands to do those things. Think about your body. I will not allow those things to come into my mind and heart through my ears. I will not look at those things on the internet. I will not go to those places anymore. I will not give my service to those. Instead, I will listen to the things of God, to the word of God. I will read and fill my mind and heart with the things of God and the glories of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and his mercy and his grace. I will use my feet to take the gospel and to serve others. I will give with my hands to the purposes of the kingdom of God. There's a radical break, but then there's a daily laying of myself back down for the purposes of God by the grace of God. Not because I'm trying to earn something, God, but with God, but because God has moved in and he changes me. And that's what happens when grace comes into your life. This is why we gather as community groups to renew our minds of the gospel, to remind ourselves of the truths of the gospel. This is why we spend time regularly in our private time in the word of God to feed on the mercies of God. This is why we speak week in and week out about the gospel to believers. The gospel is not just for unbelievers. It is for believers to feed on every day. This is where the transformation happens as believers meditate deeply on the truths of the gospel. God by his spirit transforms us into his image. This is why we gather to worship and celebrate the mercies of God. Upon faith in Christ, the Spirit awakens our soul to new delights in the mercies of God. And then our life changes. And that's what gives meaning and purpose to everything you do. Everything you do is rising to the nostrils of the Lord. And it should be a pleasing aroma of worship. We should be a holy people. May God make it true of us. We should also be a humble people. What's the spirit-filled people of God look like? It's not as simple as a worship style. The spirit-filled people of God should be humble. Verse 3 through 5, For through the grace given to me, the Apostle Paul, humanly speaking, the, the Christian of all Christians says, it's only through the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Grace produces humility. How could it not produce humility? As recipients of grace, it's very... Definition means we realize we bring nothing to the table. We come in here bringing nothing to offer of any value to God. We entered into the relationship 
with the acknowledgement that, but by grace, I am nothing. Grace produces humility. What is humility? Is humility saying, I am nothing. I am no good, rotten scoundrel. No, that's not humility. He says, have sound judgment. That means to have sober judgment. To not be sober is to be under the influence of something. He says, do not be drunk in your thinking about yourself. Do not be under the influence of anything else, but be sober in your judgment. That means don't think too highly of yourself. It also means don't think too lowly of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself the way God thinks about you. And the way God thinks about you in Christ is, I am declared righteous despite my sinfulness. I am declared righteous despite my deeds. My good deeds are even laced with sinful desires. I am declared righteous by the grace and mercy of God. I have been brought into peace and reconciliation with God. I have brought into fellowship with you by God and his grace. And so humility is a proper recognition of my standing before God because of his merciful and gracious work in my life. And so I don't think too highly of myself if I'm thinking properly. You don't think that you've done something to come in here and deserve some praise of man. I don't stand up here thinking my position as this speaking one makes me anything better than anybody. But by the grace of God, I'm nothing. But in the grace of God, I am declared righteous and holy, a saint. And so there's level playing field here. Nobody comes in here and earns some status among us as some super saint who should be having given privilege above us. No one should come in here thinking that their previous life or what they disobeyed and how they've fallen in the past disqualifies them. All of us stand in the grace of God in a place of humility. We kneel before the Lord. Knowing apart from him, I am nothing. So God has given us everything that we have and he has made us everything that we are. And that is the humbling nature of grace. We also are humbled by the fact, he says, that we are many members in one body. We belong to one another. I belong to you. Nobody owns me. Oh, yes. Yes, that's that's not true. I belong to you. And you belong to us. We are interdependent. We are dependent people. How hard is it in our culture to say, I need you. That's probably one of the hardest things for us to say. To stand up here and say, I need you. I am broken. I need you. Of all the things I could ask you to do, if I asked you to turn and say, will you tell someone what you need from them? I would bet that's one of the hardest things to ask. God says it is not humble. It is not humility to go into the group and say, I I don't have any needs. 
That's pride. He says, when I enter into a life, I reveal to them their desperate need for grace. And notice how we have access to the grace of God. He has measured out his grace to his people. That means that not one of us has all the grace we need. He's measured it out. You have grace that I need in my life. We have grace that you need in your life. If you live an independent life apart from the body of Christ, you are missing out on some grace that you desperately need. God has created us to be interdependent people like a body, a human body. All parts of the body is this complex system that exists in relationship to another. If it is removed from the body, it atrophies and it's died and it it is amputated. He says, we need each other. We're a living organism that is administering God's grace to one another. If I remove myself from that body, I am forfeiting the lifeblood of God's grace. He's measured out some to you, some to you, some to you. And when I need that grace, he brings you into my life. And I say, I need this. And you use the gift of grace that he's given you to minister to my needs. That's the body of Christ. It's an amazing concept that none of us would have come up with. We would have said, give one person all they need and let them go live by themselves. How miserable. Solitary confinement is a form of punishment. It is not a gift from God. Our flesh says, let me remove myself from the body. Let me just exalt myself and my ability to be independent and declare my lack of need from anyone else. Christ is all I need. Jesus is all I need. I've got Jesus. I'm going to do whatever I can find to make me feel good about my relationship. And I don't really need you. God says, oh, no, no, I've measured out grace that you need to each one of these people. And I've brought you here to be a member of that body. And you're going to tell them you need it. And they're going to provide it because I've given them gifts. We should be humble people called to admit our needs for grace to the Lord and find salvation in Christ. And then to one another to find Amazing ministries of grace of God to each one of us. You think the big toe is not that important? Stub it. And see how it goes. You will find quickly it affects the entire body. And I will deal with that pain right now. Every one of us is important in the body. Don't think too highly of yourself, but don't think too low of yourself. God has given you. Yes, you, whoever you are. I think I deal with this more than the flip side of of pride. The flip side of pride is that obvious arrogance. They think they're better than the rest of us. I see more the people who have the prettier version of pride that think they can't offer anything to the body. And therefore, they think that's humility. That's not sober judgment. You are vitally important to the body. He has measured out to you some grace that we need. Don't rob us of that ministry of grace.
So God's people should be a holy people. He sets them apart, fills them with the spirit of God for his glory, his purposes. God's grace causes us to be a humble people, knowing we are totally dependent on him for all that we have and all that we are, and dependent on one another to be experiencing the full grace of God until he returns and finishes the process. And that is naturally leads us to the final point. God's grace makes us a helpful people. Verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, i.e. be helpful. If prophecy, proclaim the word of God according to the proportion of his faith, then do it. If service, then serve. If teaching, explaining the word of God, then teach. If exhorting, calling people to obedience, then exhort. If giving, then give liberality. Give liberally. If leading, then lead with diligence. If showing mercy, then show mercy with great cheerfulness. The point is not so much the individual gifts. When we get to this, we want to say, oh, what exactly does that mean? And I tried to give you a little hint of the different ideas of what people think these different gifts mean. But the point is we must realize that God has called all of us to all of these things. All of us are called to explain the word of God more clearly. All of us are called to exhort one another to obey the word of God. All of us are called to to teach the word of God, to exhort the word of God, to encourage the word of God, to give to God's work. All of us are called to serve and be hospitable. God has called us to all these things so that God's grace may be stewarded among us. 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold variegated, is that word, you know, a variegated pittosporum, that green and white plant that has the beautiful, it's so much prettier with the variegations or the manifold. The manifold grace of God is on display as each one of us uniquely lives out the giftedness and the opportunities of sharing God's grace that we have in the body of Christ. God's grace in our life does not make us uniform. We don't all act the same, look the same, have the same gifts. It unifies us, but it's variegated. It's manifold. It's multifaceted and beautiful display of the glory of God. So whether it's explaining the word of God to a friend who's confused... Or calling a friend to obedience because you see he's fallen into disobedience. Or calling your children to obedience. Or whether it's leading a community group through discussion of questions or as a co-leader. Or whether it's giving extra above and beyond to a mission opportunity or to a building fund or to a person in need. Whether it's doing any of these things, whether it's providing the change of light bulbs when nobody's looking or putting coffee cups in there when nobody knows or showing up with donuts so there's not a riot on Sundays. Whatever your role is, whatever opportunity, ability, passion God gives you, do it to the glory of God. Do it for the good of the believers in the church because that's the way God has designed it. And know that all of it is an aroma of worship to the glory of God.
So God's plan is to pour his mercy and grace into each one of us as little repositories of grace. And not one of us got all of it. And then he brings us together, the called out ones, ecclesia. That's what the name of the church is. Ecclesia means the called out ones are brought out of the, the, conform, the, the, the conforming to the world, brought into the body of Christ to be transformed into the image of Christ. In Romans 8, you remember what Paul said, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined that they may be conformed to the image of his son. And now we see how he's doing that through the grace of God, through each one of us, using our giftedness and laying our lives down to serve one another to the glory of God. Does this characterize your life? Have you been transformed? Are you being transformed by the grace of God? When God's grace invades a life, it does not produce mere formal, ritualistic acts of traditional worship. It transforms us through daily feeding on the mercies and the grace of God. Reading the word individually, corporately, spiritual application of it, and we begin to be different than the rest of the world. Let's pray together. Oh, be gracious to us, Father, and make this true of us. May we be a people holy, obedient. We see in your word that there's two kinds of people. Those who hear and obey the word of God as the characteristic of their life and those who don't make us holy people. Lord, make us humble people in a world that feels obligated to present a face of independence and having it all together May we be a people that say, oh, I do not have it all together. But Christ does. And he's my savior. May we be a dependent people who need each other, who confess our need, who confess our broken marriages, who confess our secret brokenness to trusted individuals. And who, when we hear someone confessing need, who lay our lives on the altar, sacrifice our time, our energy, our emotions, our money, our priorities for the betterment of those people, to encourage them in the word, to point them to the truths of the gospel, that they are unconditionally accepted in Christ, that his love motivates them to repentance. May we be a people of grace ministering, stewarding that grace to one another. Lord, use us to steward that grace to our community and beyond the walls of this church. Lord, make us a holy, humble, helpful people by your grace flowing from Christ in and through us to one another, spilling outside of the walls of the church. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.